All right, let's go ahead and call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. Um, as we're getting started, I just want to let people know this is a hybrid meeting. Uh, we have three council members in the chamber, and we will have presentations coming from around the state of California. So uh, let's go ahead and call the roll to establish a quorum, and then we'll get started with the land acknowledgement and the pledge. Thank you, Chair. Councilmember Gatta will be absent today. Um, Councilmember Harris? Here. Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. And Chair Chenier? I am here. Uh, Councilmember Valenzuela, if you'll lead us in the land acknowledgement and the pledge, that would be good. Thank you. Please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Tutwin Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Thank you. And now salute and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we have uh, two items today, our log and then uh, the discussion calendar. So let's start with the log and see if we can dispense with that. Uh, questions or comments? More motion? Okay, I have a motion and a second. Please call the roll. And Chair, I show no hands raised to make public comment on this item, and I have no one in chambers to make comments. Councilmember Garrett is absent. Councilmember Harris? Aye. Councilmember Valenzuela? Yes. And Councilmember Chenier? Aye. Thanks very much. Okay, the, the main event that we're doing today is to start a discussion about cannabis on-site consumption. Uh, this was requested by Councilmember Valenzuela, so thank you for bringing this here. Um, and we have uh, folks from around the state who have been doing this. This is not an action item today. This is really to get, get us a little bit smarter about what's going on and the experiences that others are having with this type of uh, activity. So Davina, uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you, wherever you are, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, have, have you lead us through this, uh, through this workshop. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so I am Davina Smith and I am the cannabis manager for the city of Sacramento's office of cannabis management. I do want to thank the law and legislation chair and the committee today for holding this special meeting on this topic. Um, and I want to thank Zara Cruz in my office for putting together just a really stellar panel of cannabis regulators from jurisdictions that have decided to allow on-site consumption. And speaking with our uh, potential panelists, we did ask them to speak on their jurisdiction's on-site consumption regulations, community concerns around on-site consumption, and how the jurisdictions attempted to address those uh, with their regulations, any insights on revenue from on-site consumption, whether there were significant differences between regulating on-site consumption in lounges or cafes versus on-site consumption at events, uh, any enforcement challenges that they have encountered and or overcome, hopefully, um, and any insights and lessons learned that could help um, guide us as we think about whether this is something that we are interested in or not. Uh, so after the panelists have had a chance to speak today uh, on these issues, I'll turn this item back to the committee for any questions, uh, any public comment, and if the committee has any further direction for staff, um, uh, we're happy to take that uh, regarding on-site consumption. 
Um, and with that, I'll start the introduction of our great panel. Uh, from the city of Palm Springs, we have Veronica Godhart. Uh, she's the director for the Department of Special Program Compliance, overseeing the licensing and compliance of cannabis businesses in Palm Springs. She began her career with the city of Palm Springs in 2016 with the city attorney's office, where she played an integral role in the development and implementation of the city's recreational cannabis uh, network. Um, she is an active member of the Coachella Valley Cannabis Alliance Network and the Cannabis uh, California Industry Association. She enjoys watching the success of cannabis entrepreneurs in the city of Palm Springs and working with the public to educate and answer questions about the nascent cannabis industry. Uh, following her, we will have the city of West Hollywood and John Leonard. He's been with the city since 2012 uh, as the revenue manager and the community and legislative affairs manager. In 2018, Mr. Leonard became the lead staff member for the drafting and implementation of West Hollywood's cannabis ordinance, including overseeing review of 350 applications for 36 available retail sales and consumption lounge licenses. And he worked with those selected applicants to open their businesses. Most recently, he's been appointed the Director of Economic Development, helping local businesses navigate City Hall, recruiting new businesses to the city, leading the development of city-owned property, and overseeing the city's arts initiatives. Uh, Mr. Leonard holds a bachelor's degree in geography from UC Santa Barbara and a master's degree in urban planning from USC. Uh, third in our lineup, we have uh, Mr. Douglas Obana from the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, he's been with the San Francisco Health Department's Environmental Health Branch since 2010, and he's worked in the consumer protection, refuse, non-potable water, indoor air quality, and cannabis programs in that time. Uh, Mr. Obana first began regulating medical cannabis dispensaries in the cannabis program in 2015. He was part of the city Department of Public Health team three years later when a licensing structure and rules and regulations for on-site cannabis consumption were being developed. The first on-site consumption permits in San Francisco were issued in early 2019, and Mr. Obana continues to work with operators and potential future operators of cannabis consumption lounges in San Francisco. He holds a master's in public health and is a registered environmental health specialist. And finally, we did have um, Greg Man uh, Miner. He's the an assistant city administrator for the city of Oakland, where he's been overseeing the special activity permits division, which includes the permitting of cannabis businesses since 2014. Um, he was scheduled to be here, um, uh, but at the last minute he had to cancel, unfortunately. He had a bit of a, a, a situation come up. Uh, he did send his regrets at not being here, and he did ask me to share the following information about the Oakland program. So once I share that information, um, I will ask Veronica to um, unmute herself and, and show herself and present her, uh, her presentation. So uh, as far as Oakland is concerned, uh, Mr. Minor reports that they have no consumption lounges currently operating, although they have recently permitted several of them. There were a few that were operating pre-pandemic, but they shut down and have not reopened. Uh, Mr. Minor reports that consumption lounges are currently required to be attached to a storefront retailer. The city of Oakland will soon be considering whether to permit standalone consumption lounges where cannabis is not sold, so no retailer license would be needed, and patrons can either bring their own or have it delivered. Uh, key points to Oakland's regulatory system, according to Mr. Minor, um, on on-site consumption include an anti-drunk driving plan, um, similar to that, sort of an anti-impaired um, driving plan submitted by the operator and approved by the city, compliance with the city's secondhand smoke laws, which prohibits smoking or dabbing indoors, but does allow vaping, 
and facility staff monitoring patrons consumption. Mr. Miner reports that one of the on-site consumption lounges that will be opening soon has an outdoor patio and offers cannabis-infused beverages only. No smoking or vaping um, is to be allowed at that facility. Um, another uh, uh, on-site consumption lounge that will be opening soon in the city of Oakland has its consumption lounge located outdoors and does allow smoking and vaping. This site has no residential neighbors and is located adjacent to the Oakland Coliseum for reference. Um, in regards to events, Mr. Miner reports that Oakland has only had one event since the pandemic began. It was outdoors on the plaza in front of the city hall over a two-day period about a year ago. Uh, he, uh, he described it as a cannabis farmer's market with an on-site consumption area. area. The uh, entire area of the event was fenced and it was reportedly not well attended, although that certainly could be attributed to the pandemic. Um, and so that was sort of the program update from the city of Oakland from Greg Miner. And with that, um, Veronica, would you like to take it away? Hi, my name is Veronica Goodhart from the city of Palm Springs. First and foremost, I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to be here today to share with you um, our cannabis consumption businesses in the city of Palm Springs. So with that, I'm gonna pull up a PowerPoint that we um, put together for you. So just give me one moment here to pull that up. Okay. So this Department of Special Program Compliance was formed to regulate the city's cannabis program. We have a total of 31 total dispensaries in the city. 11 of those have lounges. Give me one moment. One moment. Let me make sure I have my presentation correct. Sorry, bear with me. I'm sorry, I'm having some issues, but there we go. <laughs> we have a total of 11 cannabis lounges. One of them is an FBD owned and operated lounge. And we also have the largest cannabis consumption lounge in Southern California. The dispensary and lounge of Holland Farms is our FBD owned business. Um, it is opened in January of 2021 and the lounge opened this year in June. The 420 Bank is a 38,000 square foot cannabis lounge and concert venue that opened in May of 2021. Our regulations for cannabis consumption lounges are found in Palm Springs Municipal Code 5.55. The lounges must be part of a dispensary, so they're not, cannot be standalone, and they're subject to our zoning code regulations for consumption lounges. Those are found in Palm Springs Zoning Code 93.23.15. And the key points in those regulations is that the lounges were to be separate from the dispensary. Um, they could not, no consumption could take place where the sales occurred. All sales of cannabis and products could, to be consumed must occur at the dispensary. No alcohol or tobacco products could be uh, present at the lounges. Um, also, no outdoor visibility, so we did require that there would be um, windows that had it concealed, so either with some type of curtains or 
blocking or security windows just so you can see in and watch the consumption occurring. And then we also have rules for odor control requiring that all lounges submit an odor control plan that is reviewed and approved by the city's odor control consultants to ensure that the odor of the consumption would not be smelled outdoors. Um, with regard to our revenue, you'll see that um, our dispensers or lounges actually um, take in slightly less on their average monthly tax um, revenue to the city. So it's uh, our dispensaries are doing slightly better. Um, with regard to community concerns and enforcements, the community expressed many concerns with regards to saturation, um, odor control, and the public image of the city. Um, there are right now, like I said, a total of 11 lounges in the city. Um, they are much appreciated due to the city being a tourist destination because it does give an opportunity for visitors to have a place to go and consume products. So that is where we've seen um, the most use. Um, odor control, of course, again, was a huge concern, not only with our lounges, but all aspects of our cannabis businesses. Um, and with regard to enforcement and how we address the concerns of the community, we have two dedicated code compliance officers, which are funded from licensing fees for cannabis permits. And of course, as mentioned, the odor control plan requirements. Um, so they require that no cannabis can be smelled at the property line. So we ensure that there are um, proper ventilation infiltration systems in place. With regard to insights and lessons learned, I think the biggest lesson that we've learned is uh, we should have placed a cap. Um, we did not have any caps on our cannabis businesses when we began the program, um, accepting applications in late 2017. And what we saw was a large number of applicants coming in and opening businesses. And now what we're seeing is they are struggling and there's a lot of competition, um, especially with the lounges. So many of these lounges have taken it upon themselves to open um, movie nights and have food and other things um, just to draw on business, different vendors there. Um, it, they aren't allowed because we don't allow any food or any other uses in the lounge other than consumption of cannabis. So what we're moving forward is looking at how to regulate those additional uses that they'd like to do um, at those locations. So that is a little bit of an overview of our city, and I hope it was informative for your decisions today. Just, just one clarifying question, if I can. If you want to go back to the slide that showed dispensaries and dispensaries with consumption lounges, and I, I just want to be clear on that, that the average is actually less for those with consumption lounges, the average tax revenue per month? Yes, correct. And how, how do you explain that? Or is it is it this an anomaly of who you're looking at, where they are? Any thoughts? It's location. On that? It is location. Okay. We we have a lot of um, dispensaries located throughout the city, um, so you have the visitors from the airport, those passing through off the highway, as opposed to the, the lounges, which are more located in the central business district. So you would have to travel into town to visit those. Okay. So you don't think it's a function of the two two uses being co-mingled or co-located? No, I do not. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, all right, let's go ahead. Uh, thank you. That was really terrific. We appreciate it. Um, I know you're sticking around so we can ask you some questions, but let's go ahead to our next presenter. Good afternoon, Chair, committee members. Um, my name is John Leonard. I am the Director of Economic Development for the City of West Hollywood. 
and I've been leading our cannabis program since its inception about five years ago. So I'm going to pull up my presentation. So to start, I want to give a brief overview of our cannabis program in general, because I think it provides some insights about the lounges and um, what we allow within our lounges. So within West Hollywood, we have five different license categories, adult use retail, medical dispensary, two types of consumption lounges, one that allows any type of ingestion, be it smoking, vaping, or edible products, and then a secondary lounge category that is edible only with ancillary smoking. Um, a little bit of background about that. When we originally adopted our ordinance in 2017, we had the two categories, one that allowed essentially smoking and edible products and one that only allowed edible products. And we did that intentionally because um, we were interested in applicants potentially opening small coffee shops where they have food that's infused or drinks that infused, but there's no smoking. Um, throughout the process, um, we found that most individuals visiting consumption lounges are going there to smoke. And so we found that these edible only lounges were not really viable on their own. And so we made code changes in 2020 that allowed ancillary smoking at those locations. So essentially 50% of the business could also be a smoking area. And then our last license category is delivery. So there's eight licenses available in each of these categories with a number of businesses having more than one type of license. So there are businesses that have an adult use retail license, medical license, delivery license, and also have a consumption lounge on site. So in total, we only have about 20 locations or potentially 20 locations within the city. Um, we currently do not allow special events in the city for cannabis, um, but that is something that we are working on right now. We are drafting regulations and hope to have those adopted within the next six months or so. Um, in terms of the way we selected our applicants for all of the licenses above, um, our council elected for a merit-based selection process instead of a first-come, first-served process or a lottery-based process. Um, and the merit-based selection process was essentially an RFP um, where applicants had to show us a variety of different things, business plan, design, security, innovation, um, social equity, and different community engagement, and a review panel reviewed and scored all of those applications. Um, so in total, we received over 300 applications um, and the top scoring applicants were announced in 2018. Um, we have a 7.25% gross receipts tax on all of our adult use cannabis and we do not have any sales tax or any city tax on our medical. And you can see what our screening fees were there as well. So before I get into some of the specifics of our consumption lounge policy, I wanted to show a few examples of lounges that exist in the city of West Hollywood today or have existed. So this was the first lounge to open in West Hollywood. It opened back in 2019, got a lot of national attention. It was called the original Cannabis Cafe or Lowell Cafe. It closed um, when the pandemic started, but will be reopening within the next couple of months as the High Times Cafe. So this is a standalone lounge. There is no dispensary included with the lounge. Um, what that means is a little bit different than what some of the prior cities have mentioned. Um, patrons can purchase products at these lounges um, and they can partially consume the products and they can also leave with those partially consumed products. 
Um, the, the only real distinction between the lounge and the dispensaries in other parts of the city is that you cannot walk in to the lounge, purchase a product without sitting down and consuming anything and leave. So you actively have to be in the lounge consuming product. There is a restaurant attached um, to this lounge, which delivers food into individuals' tables. Um, and we consider this a full consumption lounge where smoking is allowed everywhere. Um, and there is both indoor and outdoor smoking in this lounge, including outdoor ventilation systems. Um, and, th and one item that's a little bit different from what some of the other cities have mentioned is there's table service in this lounge. So a waiter comes by and takes your cannabis order and brings your cannabis products out to you. And a separate waiter comes by from the adjacent restaurant and um, takes your food order and the food is delivered in as well. Another example of a lounge that is currently open is the Artist Tree. Um, this lounge is a little bit different. It is a lounge that is attached to a dispensary. The lounge is on the second and third floor of the building and the dispensary is on the first floor of the building. Um, they do not have a attached restaurant. So food is delivered in from a nearby restaurant. Um, this is a lounge that is a, one of the edible onlys but has ancillary smoking. So 50% of the lounge area is for smoking and 50% is for edibles. It also has smoking both indoors and outdoors. The outdoors is a patio um, that is on the second floor above one of our main streets. Um, and similar to what Palm Springs mentioned is there are a lot of different activities that our lounges are starting to get involved with to bring patrons in. So they have regular performances in the lounge space, they have yoga classes, they have art classes as well. And then here's a good picture of both the indoor and the outdoor space at the lounge. And you can see in the top of the picture, they actually have hooded ventilation systems that um, are outside as well. And briefly, um, a few other examples of lounges that are going to be opening within the next six months in West Hollywood. And just to talk about some of the characteristics so you can see the differences between the lounges Aeon Botanica is attached to a dispensary. It's a full smoking lounge. It is completely indoors. Um, it also has treatment rooms for cannabis massages um, or different spa treatments. And it has a Moroccan theme. Phantom Flower is a standalone lounge with no dispensary. Um, it is one that only has 50% smoking. It's also completely indoors, has live entertainment. It also has a separate downstairs restaurant it's on the second floor it has a downstairs restaurant that is a separate business and has alcohol service and food will be delivered to the lounge from that restaurant the woods is attached to a dispensary um, has 50 percent ancillary smoking is both indoors and outdoors has food delivered from an adjacent basin and is a very beautiful lounge that has a tropical garden with different koi ponds and then pleasure med will be opening early next year is attached to a dispensary the full smoking lounge completely indoors and also has an attached restaurant in the back with alcohol service. So some of the significant local regulations that we have. Um, one of the first is a significant educational component for both staff and customers. Throughout the application process, we've really stressed that education of staff is very important so that staff can then educate customers particularly new customers that may not be used to cannabis. We're a high tourism destination in Southern California. And so many patrons to our cannabis businesses may, may not be that familiar with cannabis. So we really want staff to educate the customers, have them start slow and go from there. 
We require extensive ventilation and filtration systems, both inside and outside. Essentially, our odor control regulations are quite simple. It says that no odor can be detected outside of um, either the location of the business or the property line of the business if the business takes up the entire property. Um, so it's essentially the requirements of that business to make sure that odor does not escape the business. And if we start to get complaints about the business, they need to rectify that. Um, we, re we required security to be integrated into the, into the design. So security cameras and other security features so it wasn't highly visible. We require security guards to also do neighborhood security patrols on an hourly basis. And soundproofing is required similar to any other hospitality use in West Hollywood. Some of the application rating components that were important, we had significant points for social equity in terms of hiring practices and the level of pay and benefits that were provided um, to employees. We didn't have specific social equity licenses. We instead tried to embed um, social equity components into the way we selected our applicants, essentially how they treated staff and how they selected staff and um, the type of organizations that they worked um, with within the community. Um, also, we really put a high emphasis on design quality. We have high quality restaurants, retail, and other hospitality uses here in the city, and we wanted cannabis lounges and dispensaries to look of the same quality. Um, certainly community engagement was important. And then I would also note, we allow ancillary cultivation and manufacturing within our dispensaries and lounges, um, though no one has done that yet. Some of the challenges. The first challenge was ours. Um, as I mentioned, we're a tourism and entertainment destination here in West Hollywood. Our bars are open until 2 a.m. Some of our bars are open past 2 a.m., though they don't serve alcohol past that point. Um, and so state regulations don't allow the sale of cannabis past 10 p.m. And so our lounges that are going to be located near some of our bars and restaurants and hotels wanted to stay open just as late as the bars do. Um, so this is a challenge. Um, what we are doing currently is that all of our lounges are allowed to stay open until 2 a.m., but they cannot sell any cannabis products past 10 p.m. If individuals have purchased cannabis products prior to 10 p.m., they can continue to consume at those locations if locations choose to stay open later. Um, if they want to bring in their own product, they can do that per city regulations. It is simply up to the lounge if they are going to allow that. Um, and for the lounges that have food being brought in from adjacent restaurants, food can continue to be served until 2 a.m. Um, so the other big challenge that we faced was about the sale of non-cannabis food and drinks um, within lounges. So the state does not have a cannabis lounge license. And in order to get a um, cannabis license from the state, our lounges have to get a retail license. And the retail regulations um, state that you cannot sell any non-cannabis food or beverage products. Some of that has changed a little bit recently. We've been working with the state on that. But essentially, when we first envisioned lounges in the city, um, we envisioned being able to prepare non-cannabis foods, not infused food, but non-cannabis foods on site and provide those to patrons. And so, as you saw in some of my examples, the workaround has really been that the businesses are separating into two different distinct businesses, one that's a restaurant and one that's a cannabis lounge, and the restaurant is delivering food into the cannabis lounge. Um, patron intoxication is always a challenge with a bar or a cannabis lounge. 
we found that education is really key, as I mentioned before, of staff and patrons and really guiding new patrons through how they consume and not to consume too much. Um, and for staff really to be vigilant and watch their patrons, make sure that they're not over consuming. And if they do seem to have over consumed, not, not providing them any more cannabis, um, providing them water and food and making sure they get home safely in a rideshare. Um, and main lounges also provide discounted rideshares. Um, I talked about odor and smoke already, so I will skip over that, but we haven't had too many issues with odor and smoke people. Um, the applicants and the businesses have been really good about controlling um, smoke and odor. So we have had very limited complaints from neighboring businesses and residences and West Hollywood is quite dense. So I think, I think that's, that's quite good. One of the other items that we had a long discussion over of was about whether patrons should be allowed to take um, their partially consumed cannabis products with them. They are allowed to do this in West Hollywood. We actually have a set number of items that you're allowed to take with you, you can take up to five partially consumed items home with you. Um, and I think one last interesting challenge was federal tax structure. So as cannabis businesses, um, cannabis businesses are not allowed to write off any of their expenses when they file their federal taxes. And so for a lounge, um, a lounge has to operate much differently than a restaurant or other hospitality use. Restaurants and bars are able to write off a significant amount of their expenses when they're paying their federal taxes. Um, cannabis lounges aren't allowed to do that, so it has made profitability a little bit more difficult. And actually one of um, the side benefits of having an adjacent restaurant that's owned by both parties and have those split as separate businesses is that restaurant is allowed to write off their expenses and it's just the cannabis lounge that can. Um, just a couple more things, um, how cannabis and hospitality has integrated in West Hollywood. We we. This was one of the key factors for us allowing cannabis consumption lounges in the city. We wanted, allowed, we wanted to allow people a safe place to consume. They can't do so in their homes because of different family members with them or in their apartments if it's not allowed. We wanted, them pro wanted to provide people a safe place to consume. But we also wanted the cannabis lounges to integrate into our hospitality and tourism industries. So we've got a number of lounges adjacent to hotels. They're located on major hospitality streets in West Hollywood, Santa Monica Boulevard, the Sunset Strip, and they're adjacent or connected to other bars and restaurants. Um, so, you know, we, we really see these lounges as a place that someone's going to go, enjoy themselves, have a meal, maybe see some entertainment, um, much like the bars and restaurants in our city. Some final thoughts. Um, as I mentioned, we wanted our lounges to be as high quality as our other businesses so that there wasn't a stigma attached to them. And so they blended in well with our urban landscape. We put significant regulations and license conditions related to odor security and business operations into the business licenses. We particularly put a lot of conditions on our businesses, on our business licenses. So if an operator is not operating well, we can go in and enforce those conditions and bring them back to our business license commission and impose additional conditions or potentially revoke their licenses. We wanted to have a lot of teeth to rectify issues as they come up. Um, with that being said, we've had very few complaints or issues with the businesses that have been open. Um, several of the lounges have been very popular and have generated significant revenues that are equal to or greater than some of the dispensaries. 
Um, I would say that the popular lounges um, generate as much revenue as our very popular dispensaries, which is significant. Um, it also helps draw people to our nightlife areas. Um, and I would say the last thing that we've learned over the five years we've been doing this is really it's important to be flexible with our businesses, be willing to help them, um, and to make regulatory changes and think outside the box as necessary, because this is new to everybody. And when we made the regulations, we couldn't anticipate every situation that may come up. And so we have to find creative solutions or make changes as we're implementing these businesses. Um, and so with that, I'm open to any questions that anybody has. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Council Member Valenzuela. So we'll do clarifying questions, then we'll move to our next presenter and then go to public comment. Excellent, thank you. Thank you, John, for that presentation. That was really very informative. Um, I had a quick question when you were talking about patron intoxication and cutting off sales. If someone appeared intoxicated, does that mean that you don't have a limit on the quantity of sales on site for consumption? We do not. Okay, thank you. We have a limit on how much someone can leave with in terms of partially consumed items, but there is no limit for how much someone can purchase on site. Okay, thank you. Okay, Mr. Harris. Yeah, thanks, Chair. Thank you, Chair. John, uh, I do have a question. You know, you briefly touched on the intoxication part of the business. You didn't really mention anything about uh, your public safety scenario in the city of West Hollywood. In terms of your police department, uh, do, do they keep any statistics on traffic stops and, you know, are they finding more people with intoxication issues? Uh, and if, as we all know, there's no real intoxication test for cannabis at this time. So how's PD dealing with this? So what we found, we haven't found a significant uptick in individuals that are intoxicated with cannabis directly from these lounges or once the lounges were open. West Hollywood's a nightlife destination in general. So there are individuals that are intoxicated with alcohol and a number of individuals that are intoxicated with cannabis even before the lounges um, were open. We actually think that it's more beneficial to have people in the lounges because staff can help them. Um, staff can help control how much someone is consuming. And if somebody is visibly intoxicated, they make sure that if they're with other friends or acquaintances, that there is somebody um, that can drive if they're driving. And if not, um, they they assist those individuals in getting ride shares and leaving not, not in a vehicle. Um, but we haven't seen a significant uptick. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's go to our uh, final presenter. I guess that's that's me. Um, hi, my name is uh, Douglas Obana. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay, th all right, thank you very much. I want to make sure I, my camera's not working, so sorry, I just got to do the audio today. Uh, so I work for the city and county of San Francisco with the SF Health Department. Um, in the city, it's a little different than Oh, other locations are doing it. We have the San Francisco Office of Cannabis, which handles um, all the cannabis licenses that are available. Um, but the consumption licenses specifically, those were, those were with the health department. So I work specifically with that. Uh, in San Francisco, you have to be a retail cannabis dispensary to be able to have an on-site consumption lounge. We don't have standalone lounges. Um, you can only consume products that you purchased on-site uh, at that dispensary. We didn't want people bringing in products from 
who knows where. So we wanted to make sure it was highly regulated as far as what was being consumed inside of uh, the cannabis dispensaries and uh, their lounges. Um, the dispensaries and lounges are, are able to have like little lockers inside some of them. So if they want, someone wants to rent a locker, they could, you know, leave their that product there. So if they come back because they didn't consume all of it, they don't have to rebuy it. It's 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 there for them. They rented that little locker, um, and that's been a pretty successful program uh, for these consumption lounges with smoking. I should actually back up a bit and say that we have three different types of consumption lounges that are available for to have permits for. We have a type A consumption, which is strictly prepackaged, non potentially hazardous cannabis products. So you could buy your a cannabis gummy there and sit down on their couch and, and consume it. Um, very little structural requirements were required for that type of permit. You just have to have a mop sink to be able to clean up um, if, if there happens to ever be any spills or something like that. Uh, if someone spills one of the cannabis beverages or, or, or for any reason. Type B consumption was something that we, the city wanted, that the Board of Supervisors asked for, which is basically minimal prep with cannabis um, products. But that was kind of, we made that permit before I really had a full understanding of what the state was going to allow and not allow. And we thought there would be a lot more um, people to actually, you know, prep some food and infuse it with cannabis on site. We found out that wasn't going to be the case. So that's actually a permit that we have not had to issue yet. Um, as it's just really not something that's available right now, but it could be in the near future. Uh, last is the type C cannabis consumption that's on-site smoking, vaping, um, very strict requirements for their, these, uh, these rooms we want to make sure that they are negatively pressurized, that they be separate rooms within the dispensaries and they have to be at least 10% not negatively pressurized. So if you're pumping in uh, 100 and, if 100 uh, cubic feet per minute, you have to be pumping out at least 110. Um, it's a very small example because you have to have actually 60 cubic feet per minute per occupant. So if they want to have a room that can have 10 people, they have to have at least 600 cubic feet per minute of outside air. And then the, we wanted to really worry about uh, odor mitigation in the areas. San Francisco is very densely populated, so we wanted to make sure that all the air getting pushed out of the dispensaries in their consumption lounges was filtered and would not be smelling uh, of cannabis. So we have a minimum of MERV 11 filters that are required on all exhaust air, as well as odor, odor mitigation, such as carbon filters or positive ion generators. All the uh, fan equipment must meet San Francisco Police Code 29 for noise requirements. We go out and take noise measurements before they can actually open to make sure that the units aren't making too much noise. So they have to definitely hire a good uh, professional engineer to design these systems. We found that they are, they're done correctly. They're not very cheap. We've had several systems in the city that are over $100,000, and one of them even costing as much as a quarter million. Those are the, the main concerns that we had with this, the odor and the noise. And so we wanted to make sure we address those very firmly up front with our strict requirements as far as filtering and um, noise mitigation. Uh, so going down to another points here for the revenues and what he's doing for the, the businesses. The city is not making much money off of these. The permits for um, the consumption lounges are just a little over $1,300. I think they just went up to $1,333 uh, per, per year. Uh, talking to a lot of the dispensary owners, it's they don't charge anything to use their, their lounges 
most of them, except for two, which are, are a membership basis. And, but it's a big pull to bring people in apparently, just so that it's a, one more thing that they can offer at their facility that kind of makes them stand above the other locations. We have just about 50 permitted um, cannabis dispensaries in the city at this moment. And of them, 12 have on-site consumption. Going down to enforcement challenges, it's actually, we haven't had very many enforcement challenges at all. We've had zero complaints about any of our, our consumption lounges emitting odor or making excessive noise. They have to, because they're inside of the dispensaries, they have to close by 10 p.m. according to state law. So they can't, since they're not standalone, they can't stay open later. Some issues that we have had are these systems are pretty unique to design and build. So doing the plan review process, we've run into situations where the engineers hadn't designed one of these before and had trouble grasping what we really needed. So we had to really sit down with a lot of them and tell them these are why these requirements are, are as such. And we actually did find out a couple of times once the system was built, it didn't match what the plans were. So we had to go back and, and make changes there, which were not as much fun, but having to really have a, a fine eye of making sure that what was built matched what was designed. And we found that we can require construction verification letters. Basically, the engineer on site has to certify that what was built was what was designed by that individual to ensure that their stamp is on there, that you're, they're verifying that what is on paper is what is built. Because sometimes it is hard to tell, especially when we're not engineers. Uh, some things that I, I think we've learned are letting people know about the, the financial, possible financial barriers to these consumption lounges up front. Some people have got a little far in the game where they go, okay, we, we're going to have a lounge. We're going to do this. They have all these ideas. And they realize once they get to the design phase, it becomes a big financial burden. And they have a big space in their dispensary where they don't really know what to do with because they're not willing to put in the money to, to actually get the consumption lounge there. So doing outreach very early on when people are thinking of applying to let them know this is what they're going to have to need and do and meet just so that they're made aware of those items up front. Um, and just having a very robust rules and regulations has really helped us as well too, as far as detailing out exactly what is required for different permit types. Um, and that is on SFDPH's website. Everyone's welcome to look at that whenever they would like. So, um, as, uh, I think that's about it for what I have to say about our cannabis consumption lounges here in San Francisco. So if anyone has any specific questions they would like me to answer, um, feel free to ask. Great. Uh, thank you. Um, any clarifying questions at this point? Let's go, to, go ahead to public comment. I know we have at least one person in the chambers. Do we have others online? I do have a few online. Just wanted to remind uh, members of the public, if you want to speak on this agenda item, if you're in chambers, fill out a speaker slip. If you're on Zoom, raise your hand. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips, and the raise hand feature in Zoom will be disabled. So we do have Richard Miller here in chambers with us. Good afternoon. Rich Miller from Americans for Safe Access. I want to thank you for stepping forward and doing this. One thing. Uh, I have been in the industry for 30 plus years, um, working with medical cannabis patients, starting off with the HIV and AIDS epidemic in San Francisco. 
And during my time there, I was working with patients uh, directly in that dispensary that was on Market Street. And the one thing that we have lost in our tool chest is the ability for the people that need help and education and understand the pharmacological effects of cannabis to have an outreach. They can go to their dispensaries. Most dispensaries aren't educated on this. And I'm sorry to say that happened due to a lot of Prop 64 leaving the medical patients behind. But here we have an opportunity to move forward to create com consumption lounges so consumers and patients can understand cannabis and can move forward in the proper direction. My philosophy has always been start low, go slow. And saying that, we have a lot of patients out there just really need the help and need the location to have the understanding of how to medicate. In doing so, moving forward, I would hope that you would consider using a variety of different modalities in consumption lounges, such as exercise, kundalini yoga, sound therapy, and a variety of other modalities that are very beneficial along with cannabis and can be very successful in consumption lounges, yeah. as well as bringing forward uh, farmers and manufacturers to give demonstrations on their products at the consumption lounges. So people like our seniors that are in senior centers, homes that have the ability to use them, and people that are in government housing that can't use cannabis in their government, government house, housing has the ability to move forward and use it in a safe environment. The one thing I would ask is not to do what San Francisco did with the 30-minute limit, because that would be hard to provide these services to patients. And thank you for your comments. Alike. Your time is complete. Will you make your final comment, please? Well, thank you for your time. Uh, I hope you move forward in a positive direction and, and keep consumption wide open to allow massage therapy and other therapies. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. I have six people online. The first is um, Maisha Bahati. Yes. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for um, having this workshop. The information that I've received so far has been very useful. My name is Maisha Bahati. I am the CEO of Crystal Nugs. We are a cannabis delivery, soon-to-be storefront, opening hopefully uh, first quarter of next year. And in addition, I also hold the state-licensed cannabis event organizer. I uh, recently just renewed our event license for a third year now. Unfortunately, I have not been able to use the license. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge dealing with Cal Expo. Um, from my experience, there's just no streamlined process that kind of includes the city and the state. Basically, you just kind of deal with Cal Expo and you're kind of on your own. Um, in addition, it is very expensive to host an event at Cal Expo with everything that is required. Um, so I am definitely interested in hoping that the city maybe looks into um, other locations or the lounges to kind of compensate for, you know, the lack of being able to have an event at Cal Expo. Um, I've been advocating for lounges. I've met with a few of the council members regarding my support of lounges. Um, I've also visited the Bank Lounge in Palm Springs and Mo Green's Lounge in San Francisco, and I thought the customer experience was fantastic. Um, I believe the industry is moving in an innovative direction where social consumption is happening. And it would be great to see the city of Sacramento allow safe and responsible places for consumers to um, consume products and just, you know, embrace the legalization of cannabis here in Sacramento. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Kevin. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Kevin Hoops. Um, I'm a core member. I'm also soon to be license holder. 
um, for delivery. Um, I just had a couple of comments on this subject. Um, one, I wanted to touch on um, in the past, Council Member Harris has mentioned public safety concerns, like how can you judge if someone has had too much cannabis? Um, I recommend some type of waivers being signed for patrons um, that say if they consume over a certain amount and they agree not to drive home, we use ride share or another driver. Um, I think that's just like a lot of other businesses. If you go take your kids somewhere or something, you have to sign a waiver saying that you'll follow these rules. I don't think that would be hard. Um, also, being flexible is very important, making changes along the way. Um, I'm really pushing the idea of allowing businesses to partner with deliveries to allow delivered items for consumption. It could be, you know, a cannabis bookstore, a hotel with a lounge, a coffee shop. There's so many ways that businesses can not only add tax revenue, but allow businesses to add this element to their businesses at the same time, partnering with social equity delivery and storefront. Um, I think we should definitely offer cannabis hotel types, massage parlor types. Um, this would be big for getting our city tourism. Um, also, we need to consider events to allow some type of farmers market for cannabis businesses like the state has done just made recent changes for farmers um, that'd be be great for the community that's already thriving and allow them to grow even more as well as adding tax revenue um, i'm also concerned not concerned but you know just want you guys to really think not just allowing storefronts to do it and if you do just allow storefronts let's think about how there are only 10 social equity licenses and 30 non-social equity licenses thank you Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Michael Snell. Michael Snell, if you'll unmute. Can you hear me? Hello? Please proceed. Hi, yes, it's Mike Snell. I'm one of the social equity members, one of the 10 uh, soon to be uh, retail storefronts. Um, I just wanted to thank all the presenters uh, and I'd like to recommend that a council kind of key in on the West Hollywood's model um, in comparison to San Francisco model. I know Councilmember Harris is highly concerned trying to find any kind of way of an uptick in uh, incidents related to cannabis. You're not going to find it, especially with models like West Hollywood. Now, San Francisco, you, will, you can potentially see that uptick because you're pushing people out of the door after 30 minutes and that's not significant time to monitor and, and just provide safety to you know, the, the public safety reasons. Um, in addition, Sacramento, we lack tourism as a whole. This is an opportunity to generate that, create an ecosystem with other businesses. Um, to, so I, don't, I, don't, I agree with we should have not only, not only attached to retail storefront, but also the standalone where delivery can be involved and along with food delivery as well. Um, in addition, we do need other options outside of just combustible. Um, so again, like Mr. Miller spoke on, the ritual, the ritual alternative holistic options for massages, so on and so forth, like what's up and coming in West Hollywood. I really like their model and how they're doing things and I'd really urge council to pay attention to that so we can create a better ecosystem, more tourism, and just a better all, uh, safe environment for consuming and education here in Sacramento. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Malachi Saku Amen. 
Greetings, this is Malachi Amen with the Institute for More. Uh, I actually have a question for the, the panelists, uh, particularly West Hollywood, and wanted to um, know why you decided not to be intentional about awarding the, the licenses uh, to those who have been harmed by racialized enforcement of cannabis policy for decades. I yield the rest of my time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Kevin McCarty. Hey, thank you to the committee and thank you to all of the uh, presenters. That was very informative. Uh, this is, I think, uh, a ripe time to discuss all this. And um, the types of permits was interesting. Uh, the standalone versus attached to a dispensary. I think that's a good idea. Uh, education and the ride-sharing discounts. I think that's been one of the most consistent aspects of criticism of the proposal uh, is what are people going to do, uh, you know, once they leave. But I think having something like that uh, encouraged and potentially even built into a potential ordinance uh, would be a great option to assuage those concerns. Uh, the social equity aspect, I, I do think that what West Hollywood did uh, was wise of building it into the criteria uh, rather than just limiting it outright. I think that's a, a very judicious way to approach it um, without necessarily uh, being too heavy-handed. Uh, the co-location of food, music, yoga, uh, that would be great. Um, eventually, alcohol as well, but I don't, I don't know if necessarily Sacramento's at that point, but eventually I think it will be. Um, but event, ultimately, it's the analog of, of bars and restaurants that you know we can't prevent people from doing irresponsible things uh, by limiting everyone. We really just have to encourage responsibility and hold people accountable for the decisions that they do make. Uh, and and ultimately, um, you know that's that's the basis of the liberal economy. And I'm, I'm glad to see that we're finally moving to the next phase with uh, on-site consumption. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. And our final speaker is Jay. Jay, if you'll unmute. Hello, can you hear me? You can. Awesome. Thank you, Council. Thank you for the guest speakers coming in today and sharing the information. My name is Gerard Johnson, known as Jay. I'm a license holder in Sacramento, California. I have a state license for a non-storefront retail, that, which means I own a delivery. I ask that the City Council really refer back to the EPS study that was just done on the impact that cannabis businesses have on communities, which showed that we don't have none when it comes to regards of crime, and we're very low impact. We actually bolster the communities that we're in. I ask that you guys really listen to the two different formats that were presented today, which is standalone and then having one that's attached to an already license holder that has a storefront delivery. I ask that we adapt both because if we just go with a storefront delivery as having an add-on, you're gonna shut out a lot of equity applicants. I myself am a core graduate. I'm a, uh, a beacon of equity. I'm a success story when it comes to the equity program in Sacramento. And if you guys just attach it to storefronts only, you're gonna really cut out a lot of people from having access to this opportunity. And I also say that we are different from San Francisco. So a lot of their model is not gonna really hold weight out here in Sacramento because we're not as urbanly densely populated. So I ask that the council really uh, 
fall back and uh, really use your resources out there when it comes to that EPS study and also your own tools such as Davina with the OCM program as those of us who have been out here when you guys are awarding these licenses out. Having a standalone only will allow more opportunities for core applicants to get involved. And that's my time for today. Thank you. Great. Thank, thank you to all of our speakers. Um, really helpful. Uh, let me turn it over to Council Member Valenzuela. Thank you, Chair. And I want to echo my thanks to staff um, and the presenters. This was a really informative discussion. And I also want to thank some of the core stakeholders who called in, who organized a meeting and let me come listen in as they were discussing kind of the pros and cons of some of the different approaches. Um, and I also want to thank our first commenter for bringing up medical use. I think we often think about this for recreational use, but I think a lot of us, um, when we first got introduced to cannabis in California, was through medicinal use. And I know my father, when he was very ill at the end of his life, found a lot of comfort through medicinal cannabis use, um, and it really improved his quality of life. So I just want to thank you for making sure that stays in focus. Obviously, we have to plan for all users, but this is a very important audience we don't want to lose focus on. Um, I have some general thoughts and ideas that I'd love for my colleagues' feedback on. Um, I really want to lift up what uh, Mr. Hook said about waivers on site. Um, we had a lot of discussion about this because they're obviously going to be checking IDs when folks walk in the doors, and this is a good opportunity both to educate consumers on the expectations when they're on the premises as well as to get them to sign their commitment that they understand that you know there's going to be limitations and what they need to do to be responsible. I also, um, and I know this is a little controversial among the stakeholders, I'm a fan of capping the sales on site um, per customer um, and making that a reasonable amount. Um, I don't want to create a situation where someone can be over ingesting and over smoking and think it's reasonable to say, here's the amount that you start with and you can't take it off site. I like the idea of lockers maybe on site if folks, because I don't want folks to feel like they have to con finish consuming if they're good, right? Like I want them to say, okay, I'm good. I'm going to put this in a locker and I'll come back and get it another time or some method of ensuring that they don't lose those goods. But I obviously also see kind of the pros and cons of folks taking things off site. Um, so I thought those were really exciting. And um, one of the provisions that I can't remember which city was in, but somebody sent me some language on a civil liability provision um, if we do this, where essentially if a whatever the on-site consumption is meets the requirements, if the waiver is signed, we want to make sure we also protect the operators. Um, so if they follow the rules that people can't just come after them like they might in other cases if something happens off-site, if they weren't acting responsibly or um, somebody decides to have more cannabis when they leave the site or go off and drink a bunch or do something and does something irresponsible that the operator is somewhat protected. Um, I will say that I think I'm a fan of on-site and events. Um, I'm a little like in the tweener zone on the standalone. I think when it comes to implementing such a new idea, I'm almost in favor of linking it to folks who have either delivery or retail licenses because they already have the process in place. I'm open to thinking about maybe starting with just the core folks, but obviously would like to get the city attorney's opinion on all of that. Um, but those are kind of where I'm thinking right now is like, you know, looking at how do we link this with folks who are already meeting requirements? How do we open up events? Obviously, that would open up a different can of worms in terms of where, because you wouldn't want just to say anywhere you can have an event, you can have consumption. There might be certain, similar to how we treat dispensaries, certain setbacks from schools or other uses that we'd want to be conscious of. But I'm really interested in seeing staff come back with some maybe more specific language of what they think best practices are, just so we can respond and kind of think through what this might look like and how we might start really reasonably. So, because I really take what the West Sacramento and some of the, or West Sacramento, West Hollywood and other folks said um, in terms of um, giving yourself room to adjust and, and want to think about maybe how do we step gently into this and then 
leave ourselves room to expand as we learn. But that's sort of my initial thoughts, Chair. Okay. Great, uh, Mr. Harris. Yeah, thank you. I'd, I'd also like to thank Davina and all the presenters. This was a really interesting and informative discussion. Lots of information to chew on here. You know, in the discussion, a couple of uh, members who called in talked about my propensity to talk about the public safety aspect of this. And, and thinking about Councilmember Valenzuela's comments about limiting liability for operators, the problem that I encounter with this is that it's very subjective. If you, if you know, even if a person signs a waiver, like who knows how much cannabis is enough? Who, who can actually set the metric on how much to sell, how much to consume? It's, it's very individual for each person. And without a sobriety test, it's, it, it places the onus on then the, um, the owner of the business to just make an empirical decision about whether somebody is looking too intoxicated. Uh, and th that's very problematic. You know, there's obviously an economic incentive uh, not to cause problems to their customers. And, you know, if a person says, you know, you're too high and we really need to get you a ride share, if the person says no, you know, it sets up a situation where there could be a lot of difficulty. But I also get it that there are consumption lounges that are functional, you know, and that there haven't been apparently a lot of complaints about this, but of course, in a, in a business like a consumption lounge, you have no control over what a person does when they leave. I also found it interesting that some close at 10, some stop sales at 10, but allow consumption till two. Those, those are nuances that I think would be very difficult to walk through. Uh, also, Richard, I wanted to thank you for bringing up the, the medical aspect of this. That is an important piece, and I think that people would go to a medical lounge for very different reasons than recreational. And I think that that is a really important piece of the discussion. Uh, I appreciate you coming down and bringing that up. Y you know, I think this requires further talk, certainly, you know. Uh, I'm not averse to having staff put some effort into this, but, uh, you know, again, I would feel that we had a metric we could rely on if we had a sobriety test for cannabis. I know people are working on it. So Davina, is there any news about a sobriety test that you know of that we haven't heard yet? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I don't believe um, anyone from the police department is on today, but um, I know that there have been quite a bit of work on that. I don't believe that there are any sobriety tests for cannabis that can sort of be done um, in the street, if you're talking about similar to a, a breathalyzer that gives a, a you know a 0 .08, 0 .6 you know six determination, police officers do um, do um, you know various um, field tests, field sobriety tests that can detect impaired um, reactions um, that can lead to um, you know an impaired driving conviction, um, and they do that through you know a lot of the like touching the nose and reciting the alphabet and the walking. Um, that, that you see in TV shows a lot. Um, so that is sort of a tried and, and true um, way of moving forward with that. Um, I don't know, but I'd have to double check with our, our local PD if any um, field tests have been accepted by the state courts as um, evidence of a, um, a compared driving beyond those field sobriety tests. Well, I appreciate that, and I would like feedback about that from public mm -hmm. safety. 
about what they find workable, you know, just with intoxication generally out in public, but of course they do have breathalyzer for alcohol, and they use those tests very frequently. Uh, we have a lot of intoxicated people on the streets of Sacramento, a lot. You know, we see it with uh, illicit drugs, illegal drugs, fentanyl, meth, uh, opioids. And then there's alcohol use, which has actually been problematic in society for <laughs> uh, centuries, actually. Uh, but, you know, we've managed to, we've come up with systems to manage it to a certain extent. I, the one piece here that really kind of troubles me is that I don't think that an owner of a cannabis lounge can adequately make those decisions about whether a person is too intoxicated, if they've violate, violated a waiver. Uh, th those are really complex decisions for a business owner to make. And uh, I would like to find a way to not put the onus on, on those particular individuals. That's all the thoughts I have for now, Chair. Thank you. Um, I think what I'd like to do, uh, Davina, is, is provide some direction here and, and my colleagues can weigh in on this. Um, and I, I think the best way for us to proceed is kind of incrementally on this because I, I don't want the staff to get out too far in front and do a tremendous amount of work only to have that push back. Um, so Davina, what I'm thinking is if you can work through a framework on this with, you, you have a number of different subject areas that have been brought up today, including security, including consumption, standalone versus attached, things like that. Um, so not an ordinance at this point, but kind of a framework with options within that. And then coming back to this committee where we can, and we'll have Mr. Guerra here as well, where we can talk about what might go in and then the next step would be to develop actual language. I think that would be the way I'd wanna proceed on this. Um, I do wanna say thank you for bringing uh, Palm Springs and West Hollywood and San Francisco up here today virtually. Um, I think it was really helpful to understand what their experiences have been and I'm sure we'll be going back to them on, on questions that we have as, as we go forward. So I wanna say thank you to the three of them as well and um, also to Oakland and understanding that they couldn't make it, but I think the information they provided was important as well. So is that, is that enough direction? Do, does that make sense to you? Yes, yeah, so I'll start working with my staff to um, develop that framework that you mentioned, um, focusing on some security things and bring back for um, council member Harris some information, um, either um, PD reporting directly or information from PD regarding um, um, sobriety tests that can be um, done in the field, like a breathalyzer, um, and then also about how um, maybe ways of sort of um, taking that onus of uh, determining how intoxicated a, um, uh, a cannabis user might be from the property owner or the business owner, I should say, um, and then sort of um, information around the standalone versus add-on dispensaries, and then perhaps also around a medical um, lounge with uh, which. Um, uh, one of our public speakers mentioned, as well as uh, Mr. Leonard from West Hollywood, um, where one of their their sites is going to be cannabis uh, spa treatments um, and some other sort of yoga and and treatment oriented uh, facilities with cannabis. Right, and, and my expectation is not that we settle at some point on one model, but that we have, as others have done, some different types of models that people could apply for if we want to go forward that way. 
so we can, in, in a way, pilot them as we go as well. Um, so, and, and going back through, we can go back through this, what we've heard today, and I think there's other pieces to the puzzle that we wanna include um, as far as options go as well. Like, do we wanna have a, a permit that aligns with a food establishment next door, which I actually think is a really good idea. Uh, Girl Scout cookies always come to mind. Uh, <laughs> Uh, have I've seen that outside of uh, no I in San Diego I think the record was like 600 boxes of Girl Scout cookies because they set up outside a dispensary yeah so um, but if we could think about all of those pieces and try to put them together and then think about options within each each bucket that would be great appreciate that uh, Mr. Harrison then Ms. Valenzuela yeah, and then I thank think you, we'll be done two things I forgot to mention and one is that if, if Davina brings back the sort of framework of ideas to talk over and flesh out, I, I think it's important that we do community outreach about those ideas before we start building an ordinance. Uh, you know, I certainly would want to run the idea of, of uh, smoking lounges or just consumption lounges by my constituents and get feedback about that before we actually deliberated uh, a way to move forward with an ordinance. So that's one piece of direction. The other is there was mention of merit-based licensing. And that's something that we haven't really talked about here, but I think it could be a valuable discussion. Clearly the, the lounges that worked really well in West Hollywood were nicely appointed. All, you know, from the discussion, all of them were expensive, either through air handling and filtration or uh, you know the amenities in the lounges, and from the sounds of the discussion, they weren't you know eminently profitable because of the amount of investment to get going. But uh, I I, th I think that we should possibly talk about the merit-based approach to to licensure for these for consumption lounges. I, I think the question is who who can apply, who gets them, how many those types of questions. Ms. Valenzuela, you get the last word since you had the first word as well. Oh, <laughs> oh and I see Lainey down there as well, waving her hand. But um, I will say, I think you covered this a little bit, Davina, um, and your comments specifically about the health lounge. But um, thinking about services on site and, and what we would be comfortable allowing and sort of, I mean, not just food delivery, but, you know, I heard them talk about movie nights and, and you know, different, you know, are you having music available? Like, what are the restrictions on that? Um, so that's something I just wanted to make sure it didn't get lost. I'm so obviously oh, that's great. to be sitting around um, and we want them to maybe have something they can do to, yeah. Thank you. Sure. Millstein. Good afternoon, Lainey Millstein, Assistant City Manager. I have a couple of things. Uh, Mr. Harris, relative to the uh, quality of a lounge, that can be certainly something that we um, have as part of our regulations and requirements, unless it's part of if we have a cap and there is a merit-based selection of who gets the license within a cap. And then the second thing is I want to confirm that our priority is gonna to be to finish the revisions to our licensure and that we will then come back with the development of this. Um, so it'll be kind of licensure, this will happen in between, in between while the Planning Commission is working on those things that are related to zoning. So we'll try and fit it in, but it's gotta kind of fit into that other set of big work that we've already got going. Why don't we do this? Uh, my hope was maybe 45 days to get a framework, which is not fleshed out. Um, but why don't you all talk and let us know what works for you? 
Yeah, okay. I, and I think choice points, which I think we're talking through on the framework, would be a good way for us to come back faster. Yeah, no, okay. absolutely. Thank you. Okay. okay. Davina, thank um, you. If I could just ask, um, for the framework, was there um, an interest in having a, a framework around events, um, expanding events outside of um, Cal Expo into other sort of council designated locations? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So that's it for this item. Again, thank you. And please thank all of our panelists. We really appreciate their time today and their uh, willingness to share. So with that, do we have any comments? Uh, items not on the agenda. Do we have any comments by any of our committee members? Seeing none of each, we're done.